0: Organize in nonprofits because a lot of the the organizing in nonprofits tends to fall flat because of the power structures, how they're set up. There's a lot of lip service, but the organizing doesn't happen. There's a lot of fear um, about losing funding and so on. So that's this is the question. How do you organize nonprofits?
1: It's hard for me to answer this question because I tried to help her years ago and it fucking didn't work. <laughs> it did work, yeah, right. Yeah, um, okay. Not for profits uh, fucking suck, right? Like they do, and I suspect everyone clapping literally works in one and is like, (laughs) fuck me, right? This sucks. Um, So, not for profits are part of the neoliberal project. They are literally part of the neoliberal project and a lot of them are doing the work that the state should be doing. A lot of them are doing the work that... Um, that, that, that quasi- or para-state organizations should be doing, but, but, but things that are like literally connected to the democratic kind of structures within, within the country. And they, they don't because of austerity, because we cut this shit out and you download it onto activists, and when the activists are burnt out because they're running the not-for-profits, they're not gonna be fucking radical, right? It's a very clear tactic. Um, at the same time, you create this system where the not-for-profits are chasing grants all the time. And so you have a dual kind of situation where they come to the playground of like people that have money that have a vanity project or that like really hate to see like homeless children or whatever, and they're like, well, I have some money and I hate homeless children, so I'm gonna become the fucking executive director of this place. And you're like, no, that's not useful. Okay, fuck. Okay, you're oh, the ED, great. Um, and you know, some of it's left wing. Uh, some of it's good. Uh, there are a lot of good people within the not-for-profit sector. But it is a model that is in and of itself fucking shitty, you know? It really is shitty, like, it, it, is, it controls you, it, 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 it perverts what you want to do, it forces cons- contortions and contradictions that really become hard to exit out of. And I mean, everything I just said right there is like, I was thinking in French, so that's fucking hilarious how that came out. Um, <laughs> And so, uh, yeah, and then obviously becomes very, very difficult to organize. You know, like I I was asked to do a talk for a Catholic school board in uh, where I grew up, my my school board where I grew up, and uh, a a local women's organization, a mainstream women's organization, was like, "We can't support this because you're challenging the legitimacy of the Catholic school board." And it was like, "What the? Who the? Why the fuck do you care? Like, you're not in the school board. You're not anybody. Well, we've got allies there." yeah and like I know lots of people that go there too. like I'm talking to students from the school board, like, what are you anyway? So you know it's very conservatizing and it's a and it's a real problem. Um, and I, I, I there's not really a good answer because it's like um the managers are shit. That's the other thing that's really weird is like no one's a good manager. and so you just suffer through like the most fucking mediocre, shitty bourgeois white lady fucking boringness. And you want to fucking punch yourself in the head every day, you know? And it's funny, because I've never worked in a not-for-profit. <laughs> I'm not talking about my own experience. I'm just that perceptive to what you're all putting out at me right now. Uh, so, okay, yeah. uh, stop.
0: <laughs> <laughs> the best thing <laughs> that you can do in organizing this, my, my opinion, is that the the not for profit has to be connected to radical organizing that's the linkage that makes sense if you can't do too much in the not for profit for all the reasons that you said it's set up so that you're like constantly trying to worm your way into this grant <laughs> and so you're like trying to contort yourself and that takes time it takes a lot of energy and it is meant to 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 like diffuse all of the stuff that you're doing But if the not-for-profit is like a successful not-for-profit and is connected to power in some way and can be a source of information and a source of um, tools, strategy for a radical movement, that's a useful, that is a very useful um, alliance to build. Uh, What that requires, though, is uh, a radical movement that is going to understand that that is an alliance that can be useful. And it's going to require a not-for-profit that's not going to be, you know, so ego-driven that they're going to feel bad that they're not the radical people and uh, are going to want to present themselves as, like, better because they're more enlightened and they're doing the, the, they're doing the better thing, the more um, uh, respectable thing, the way that things should actually happen when, you know, we, we know that that's not the way it should be. The type of organizing that has people at all of the places, at all of the linkages that they can be in order to make use of any sort of information that we can get and any sort of tactic that we can we can try to, um, to, to build. Um, we'll use that as a source of information and a source of tools and, and whatever. But beyond that, I don't know that there is much use in doing much more because of the way that the structure is. But that, I think that that is the most useful way to use a not-for-profit.
1: Yeah, I do think, though, um, when you try to unionize an not-for-profit, I mean, it's a huge pain in the ass, and you will always oh, is hit. Is that the
0: type of organizing you were talking about, is unionizing? Yeah, more. OK. Yeah, and but I think it's
1: also like useful to put a fine point on it. Um, bringing a union to a not-for-profit can force management to do better. So it is a useful enterprise. It is useful to try and do that. Um, it sucks, though. It's really hard. And I, my heart goes out to everybody that has organized these spaces, that has tried to organize these spaces. Sometimes unions, I mean, don't really want the headache of dealing with such small units and dealing with such huge personalities and the politics are so entrenched or whatever. But when you have a union and you're like, here's a collective agreement... Um, your shitty manager at least has a fucking list of things that you can be like, no, no, you're fucking 7A. Your job is 7A. And they're like, oh, okay. Oh, there it is, right? So um, it is useful. I think you need to try, um, but um, I've said enough.
0: <laughs> Hi. Hi.
2: Hey. Very fun. Um, I'm an actor, uh, so film industry is pretty big in Vancouver um, and its uh, I guess we have a union, it's the first union I've ever been a part of, um, but it's a bit limp and I'm just wondering, I think part of the challenge is that it's a, it's a group of people who are used to, one, we now work in isolation because we work remotely, um, we're all independent contractors, mm. don't see each other in person, and, uh, not that it, we're competing against each other, but it's a very individualistic kind of job. Mm-hmm. And uh, and there's a lot of hierarchy in the film industry, and it just uh, has been so hard to, I see so many people struggling so much, and it's just been so hard. I don't know if you have any advice or tips about how, like, do we need to get more involved in the union? Does that need to change? Mm-hmm. And like, is there something, you know, and, also, acting and, and film industry is some place where uh, social media and influence and optics and faux power are really, like, it's the perfect confluence of all those things. It's a great example of all the things we're talking about. And uh, tips.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think, I mean, the, the answer is sort of in the question. And you, in... It is isolating, and that is the thing that makes it suck, that it's isolating, and it's – where are you? Oh, there's. <laughs> Sorry. I was just like, where did you go? Um, uh, it's isolating, and then that, that's the thing that makes it suck. And also, I feel like in the film and TV industry, there's also this like um, – and in, the, in some other places in the arts, there's this idea that everybody around you is your competitor. And everybody around you, um, you know, like you, you're not in it for that person because if if you are focused on being successful, you have to focus on your own career, and just like in anywhere else, it's it's like a lie. The the I think, as you know, I'm not an actor. I was once, (laughs) but I'm not an actor. But I do think that the the power comes in talking to one another about. The experiences that you will no longer take, building building a culture around we're not going to take these types of experiences. These are the types of experiences that we we want to build. I mean, there were some really. Um, Uh, powerful things that were happening in the theater movement in Canada a few years ago and that all happened because people started talking about the experiences that they were having with these men that were controlling everything and being really disgusting uh, to a number of the the people who were expected to do whatever they could to be successful in isolation. That, That isolation is where so much power lies and where exploitation lies. And so, the more that we can refuse this this pretend world where we're we're all like, um, you know, working against each other. Like, we have to work together to create art. Actually, we have to work together to create good art. Um, there's only so many one one person shows. <laughs> you know, like it does benefit us all if we're if we are committing to working together to make sure that our experiences um, have like that. There's a baseline that we will not accept anything below this baseline and that works in essentially all competitive industries where they say that it's competitive and you have to be individual anything that you can do to break that individualism um i think will help well and it's and that's where the union's
1: actually really important because it's very difficult to do that as like a social club you know, the union's reason to exist is to get people's grievances and their complaints and to bring them together. And so that that's nice because it means that people can take off their acting hat and they can put on their, like, work, workplace health and safety hat. And they're not thinking about the competition because they're in the space together to talk about what those issues are. And I think that COVID really provides, especially the film... Uh, and TV industry, the 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 this space to talk about this because COVID was rampant on set, sets, as I'm sure you know, and um, it was brutal, and people were expected to put up with a lot of bullshit, and so there's a lot of anger out there, and the isolation is not because people want to be isolated, and so your union, you should be demanding money for events coordination for events access to people's email addresses if they have them and get people in a room together to to, to not talk about their career but to talk shop to talk about what's bothering them and what can we do to make things better and i think that you'll find um you'll find that you'll cut through a lot of that bullshit just because people are like oh yeah totally i got covid in fucking march 2020 and i fucking almost died it's like oh my god me too you know um and that's a bonding moment. <laughs> So how do you engage with people who have the false fears around safety um, when there's real issues around safety without completely dismissing what they're experiencing, but being able to talk about what, like you know what policing really does and 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 how unsafe it is and I think this is you've been thinking about this a lot.
0: Yeah, I like hmm, the the problem with it is that every everything in our society tells us that safety equals police. Who? As like how where like the the way to engage the question is to say like i i too believe that we should be safe from these things and secure from these things but i don't see how the police are solving it because but like whatever it is that they're saying they're that they are afraid of it has existed it exists now it has existed and it has probably gotten worse as we've put more and more money into policing and they have done nothing about it it's breaking through that association that has become so common in our society. Like we have to to understand, I'm writing about this a lot, I'm writing a book about this, and so this, like 90% of the people who talk about police as a solution to like all of our problems in society don't interact with police. <laughs> they don't, They ha- like it's, it's very weird that, you know, in all of the, the public services that we have, you know, that we have public discussions about, it's like education, you have some sort of direct uh, experience with education. Healthcare, you have some sort of direct experience with healthcare. With most of these the services that we would ever talk about, debate, you have a direct experience. Policing, which gets most of the money of our services, most people have... Not very much, if any, interaction with it at all. But they think they do because they watch Law & Order.
3: <laughs>
0: it's very weird. It's a very weird thing. And to, to crack that... To make people understand that like what you think is happening is not happening. It takes some time, it's hard. And that's why like you know in, on our podcast, we talked about how we, we've already won the defund the police movement. It's like it's true. Like, the, the fact of being able to break through that ice for so many people is huge because it takes so long to get people there because it, it feels so wrong because there's so much propaganda that tells you, police make you safe. And it's like, okay, so, so name the thing that you're afraid of. Like, what is the thing? Pick anything, and I can tell you how the cops don't solve that problem and probably make it worse. I want to solve that problem, too. Like, so let's fucking solve it. Because as we said, like, that issue, it has existed. It's existed before. I don't know what you were talking about, but I know that this is true of what it is <laughs> that it has existed before. It continues to exist. The cops haven't solved it. Why would we continue to put all of this money into them, uh, unless you know we're? That's not the that's not the goal. And we've talked about also one of one of the things that I really loved about our policing discussions is that, and it's another thing that you could point out to people that's um, useful is that. You know, the solution to all of the problems is always more money to the police like what is the thing that results in less money to the police like think about it to, for, for any politician this is how you know that it's like a false conversation that we're having it's like man they suck and you know they, they missed uh, Picton like all of this the horrifying stuff that Picton did they missed it you should probably give them more money so they could be better at it or, man, like, you know, like this, th- our homelessness is such a, houselessness is such a huge problem. Like, oh, let's let's give it to the police to deal with that issue. But what is the thing, like, even when it's, man, there's like a massive sexual assault scandal that's happening within the police forces. We should really give them more money for training. We can train that out of them, make sure that, that they don't do that anymore. like the the solution is always more money than the police. It's absurd. And when you start to realize that that is the case and you point those things out, it's pointing out those contradictions that I think it helps to loosen the like the calcification of all of these years of propaganda that is so hard to break through. I'll, the only thing I'll
1: add is my favorite example is like when your bike is stolen and it's like, call the police. <laughs> It's like, did they steal it? Because if they didn't, then what the... F- like, it's been stolen already. <laughs> they didn't prevent the theft. Um, and then it's like, then you talk, you know, when you a know, stolen bike sucks, right? And so it's then you talk through, okay, well, what are the solutions? Well, you know, you go to the pawn shops and you check out Kijiji and you'll try to see if you see someone, you put it up online, who sees my bike, and you'll get it back that way. You can buy your bike back, you can find your bike again, maybe... The cops aren't gonna do shit, and it doesn't take much undoing of the copaganda for someone to go, yeah, what would they do? <laughs> like, are they going door to door with a picture of my bike? <laughs> no, they're not doing that. They don't fucking care.
4: No. They uh, like Brazilian.
1: Okay, so summarizing that the judo clubs in Vancouver have been taken over by the cops. <laughs> and what the fuck <laughs> policing in the community I mean this is always such a I mean on one hand like where we come from the police are not from the communities and that creates one kind of problem right so yes it is true that like I grew up in this really shitty small town and all of the kids that become cops where I grew up go to the fucking city next door and they police there and they're hella racist and hella violent and would they be less violent if they were from that community? I mean, it's an interesting question. They probably would be less violent, but this is a continuum, and they are still violent. So I think that it's very attractive to imagine community policing as being the solution to police violence because, you know, a police officer doesn't want to crack the head of someone they see every day, right? They're on foot. They're not in their car. They're not, wearing, they're not in their armored vehicle. They're, like, on bikes, right? If you're in Calgary, they, like, ride packs of 13, and you're like, what the fuck is this, right? Why are the cops always on 13 bikes or whatever? Um, but again, it's like, that is not police reform. You cannot reform this institution, period. You cannot. And, um, you know, military is always recruited like that. Military's on campus. Military's looking for interesting ways in and interesting kind of like, oh, you're like a tough guy doing tough stuff. You should come a cop, Right. That's that's their shit, and um, and having diverse police officers is useful for a whole bunch of PR reasons, um, but that doesn't make any of it better.
0: No, I'm like having so many feelings about this as a capoeirista who uh, did capoeira, which is a Brazili- Brazilian martial art, which a lot of capoeiristas also do BJJ uh, with a cop <laughs> for years, <laughs> um, and. What I will say is that it is very important wherever you are to try. Like, if you are, if like, if you're in a community of people, I mean, it's so hard to do this, but it is the thing that is necessary to do is to force the conversation. Mm-hmm. You have to have the conversation in the group. Uh, it's very hard. It it can. It can really uh, people feel really deeply because it becomes this moralizing thing. I mean, this this person who was in this keptwitter group that I was in just started like bombarding me on Facebook. Like that's just how it ended up happening for me. Like in, in trying to have a conversation, and it's hard because then you feel like, am I no longer? Uh, do I no longer belong in this space? Like what's happening? And again, it's just you know one of those things where. You can't do it in isolation. You have to try to have those conversations with as many people as possible. But like we said before, it is the best type of organizing happens in person, happens with these types of really difficult conversations in spaces where people are already organized. That's why the cops target them. Because they're doing the same thing, and so we can't be afraid of doing the doing doing what they are doing, which is having the conversation of like, actually, can we can we talk about so that thing that they're just recruiting for? I just want to put a different spin on it, uh, and you know, have a like have a different conversation. It's it's hard to do that. I understand because you're like moving against the grain, and because I feel like in 2022 we you know we have siloed ourselves into into like communities where it's easy so we don't have to have those types of conversations but it is really good to have practice having those sorts of conversations that so you can you you can be the person in those moments we've all had those moments where you're like sitting around and someone says something totally awful and you're like fuck I want to say something about that it's gonna be so awkward and everyone's gonna feel weird about me and then can i come back here and then there is the person in the group who does say something about it it's like hey i actually believe and then you're like man i wish i was that person (laughs) (laughs) i'm so glad they said that why didn't i say it it always feels that way so but it's it's like a trained practice like you have to practice doing it Mm -hmm. or it doesn't it will always feel weird it will always give you anxiety It's something you got to train in yourself. Mm -hmm. And so try it, you know, like if you're in a a group in judo or in BJJ or capoeira or whatever it is, you know, take a couple people aside, maybe, and see if you can start small. And then if you find a few like-minded people, then you know that someone's going to have your back if you raise a question. Mm -hmm. And just try to train yourself to do it. Like, that. this is what, like... Build movement building work is. It is these very difficult conversations in these already organized spaces.
1: And you can kind of be a bit goofy about it. You know, I don't talk politics very much with my soccer teams. People don't really know what I do. Um, but literally last week we were in the change room and someone was, someone said like, well, are you a cop to someone on the team? Like, is this what you do for your, for your job? And, and I knew he, what he did. I know he's not a cop. And I was like, do you think I would be on a soccer team with a fucking cop? <laughs> and it was just like, everyone was like, oh, OK. <laughs> you know, normalize that. Um,
2: yeah, being conscious of time. I have two questions. I'll let you guys pick one. One is spicy. One is less spicy. Spicy will do it. You want the spicy one? Yep. Okay. So I'm glad earlier, Sandy, you mentioned uh, there's not good media in this country or a good discussion of media. Uh, a couple weeks ago, or a month or two ago, uh, Nora, you were on Canada Land. I was. And I just want to ask, how good did it, did it feel to tell Jesse that <laughs> uh, he sounded like an undergrad who would have just
1: read him on Chomsky for the first time? <laughs>
0: That was an excellent quote.
1: That was a great quote. <laughs> um, so the thing about... Okay, so the thing about... Okay, for the, for the recording, Nora, how did it feel to tell Jesse Brown that he sounded like an undergrad who's reading Chomsky for the first time? Um, I don't know Jesse. Like, we're not, we're not, we don't know each other. We're not friends. We've met once years ago. I don't even know if he remembers it. And it was in a weird circumstance. Not, like, weird, but, you know, weird. And um, and it's so funny because our rapport is so excellent. Like, I love being on Canada Land with him, and I love making fun of him. Um, but I don't know him at all. So um, that line came out of nowhere. It just popped into my head. And the second it left my mouth, I was like, "Oh shit, he's gonna feel cut." <laughs> and he did, and he did. Yeah, he was like, "No, he wasn't mad." But it's a great episode. You should definitely listen to it. Um, the cool thing about Candleland is that the audience is so diverse, and I we've gotten a lot of Sandy Nor fans because Candleland has me on which is cool. Oh, right, in the room too, right? So, um, but it is fun making fun of him, a lot of fun. He He does like it. I know that they asked me back on, right? So, yeah. So actually, fun fact, before the pandemic, I'd be asked about Jesse Brown more than anybody else. That stopped in the pandemic. And since I've been on the road, no one's asked me about Jesse Brown. So there you go. I just
4: wanna say, first of all, <laughs> <laughs> for
1: the for the record, fuck Jesse Brown's feelings into the recording. Also, on
4: the ground local recording. at that and it's just up here like give him a follow. Um, what, Name? him. Who, who, who are, are you? Us who, is, who
0: this is? Camilo.
4: Camilo. Yes. <laughs> he's uh at on yes. here.
0: Yeah. at okay. Ronan Swanson,
1: Camilo follow him on Instagram R- totally, thank you, yes, amazing thank you, and thank you for naming him I mean, this is great we're here as community yeah, amazing. that's right
4: uh, my question just kind of dovetails on the first two and it's just like um, how do we get our energy back? oh yeah like I think I speak for a lot of people here
1: tonight, where
4: it's like early 2019 when we were like shutting down Canada there's this like energy in the air like and, like we took that court for like a week we took the rail lines we did something i was doing all of that, like 2001 2002 like bush was there it felt like the whole city came out it felt like the people like kept us out of that war i was like montreal during the student strike we got a smattering of the like black lives matter in 2020 but i feel like we're in like the opposite of a swell right now it feels like we're sniping at each other, we're sniping at the government. And it feels like like the hard right has this like great PR where they're like, come to our hate rally, like there's bouncy castles and beers and burgers, like you're gonna have a good time, like kill a bunch of queer people, you're gonna be heroes. Like like I don't wanna do that, but like how do we have that energy? Like how do like, I like like how do I that propaganda for us? Yeah. Like I get that we're tired, like yeah, I'm working three labor jobs for my like not but like,
0: like, how do we build that up because I'll make that commercial like, how do we get that energy so great question great question how do we get our energy back it felt like in 2019 and in moments that can be named over and over again that we had so much energy so much fire on the left and it just feels like right now here in 2022, we are exhausted, and for some reason, it appears as though the conservatives do have that kind of energy with their bouncy hassles and their beers and um, their appeals to like literally kill people. What is it? What can we do to get our energy back?
1: I think like let's be fucking clear: we haven't tried to get our energy back. You know, when the Freedom Convoy shit was going on. Um, and like we had one in Quebec City, so I was in it or whatever. Like, Every single one of those shitheads had the biggest grin on their faces. They were so happy to be with other people, and it was outside, and there was no reason why we didn't do anything like that. There's literally no reason. Instead, it was like, you know, respect the rules, stay home, don't do things that are unsafe. But I mean, being outside is like as safe as it gets right now, right? Um, It's as safe as it has been. So I think that like, you know, we have to create those spaces of joy and know that the isolation and the desperation and all of the, the stuff that we all absolutely feel and experience is made easier when we're in a space like this is made easier when we're hanging out together, when we're at a concert, when we're having fun, when we're doing things that are fucking fun. And we have to challenge ourselves to avoid the stuff that's not fun, you know? Um, Like, I have my own personal things that I do to make sure that I'm, like, loving life still and not getting too down, and that includes sports, includes arts, includes, like, friends and hanging out and shit. But, like... Anybody in this room that's on the executive or that head of a collective or that does something, if you haven't thrown a party in the last fucking six months, fucking throw a party, right? Like, I know people are really worried about COVID and we should be, but there's ways to do it that are safer. People can decide to come and you actually can have that fun. Now, having fun in a protest um, sometimes requires things that are not fun first. And things will not always be fun. Pro- activism ebbs and flows, and we are definitely in an ebb. No question about that. But we, if you have, I mean, fuck, I'll shout out, I mean, your band, Five Alarm Funk. Everybody know Five Alarm? Tim and Five Alarm Funk. They, that fucking shit is so fun, right? And even if you're like funk, like, I'm not sure. It's so much fun, right? And so Tim invited me out to one of his shows in um, in Quebec City. And the room was on fire because the stage was on fire. That's how it works. And we have to make sure that that is a priority. And it's hard because when you're organizing it, you get tired. When you're the one on the stage, you get tired. It is tiresome. But, like, for Sandy and I... Like, the, the fucking, like, every single week making a podcast, it fucking sucks, everybody. It's boring shit. It really is boring. Thanks. But it's fucking amazing to be out at these spaces. So you got to look at what you have in your life and where you can inject that fun, where you can make fun for other people. And I really, 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 really encourage you to do that because there's so many people out there that are desperate and that need something to go to. They need something to look forward to. They need something where they can meet new people. And if we're not organizing those things, then there's nothing. And if it's like, you need a union to donate tons of COVID testing kits because everyone's gonna make out, and you wanna make sure that there's no fucking positives in the room, do it.
0: Like for example, right? Okay, so my, my answer was literally gonna be the same, but focused in a different direction a little bit. Um, but but I, I I remember thinking this in 2014, like, God, everything sucks, like all of the activism sucks. Like it was a moment where I felt like we were ebbing and, and it felt boring. And then so when we were building BLM, we literally were like, how do we make this the most fun dope looking shit that anybody has ever seen? Like how do we make it look cool and make it look fun and make it like, are we gonna chant black lives matter? Or are we gonna be like black lives, they matter here? Like we're gonna make this fun we're going to put inject all the joy that we can in the most joyless of of fightbacks it is it's hard it's really hard to do death work it we had to make it fun for ourselves because otherwise we couldn't do it it was so it's so hard to do if you don't make it fun we have a a way like we have a thing on the left of like having this like weird like activist aesthetic like things have to be ugly and things kind of have to look shitty and and things have to, to to look like in a certain like otherwise it's not really grassroots you know it's not it's not truly of the people unless it, it looks just a little bit dirty and and it's just like a little bit boring you know but I don't I like why do we adhere to these weird rules like who cares like make it fun make it something that you want to do like make it cool, make it relaxing even, like, make it cheeky, like...
1: Fucking hot tubs, hot tubs on Parliament Hill can be hot tubs downtown Vancouver,
0: right? Like, that shit was great. 100, like, but I mean, like, make it cheeky. I mean, one of the best actions to this day that I love that uh, the, the Ryerson, is the, uh, the the Toronto Metropolitan University? Too much
1: university Too much university union.
0: students union did. Back in the day was uh, they wanted to pedestrianize the street. So they got a bunch of grass and they just put it on the street and were like, haha, it's pedestrianized. It was <laughs> hilarious. It was so funny and people like had such a good time. It was fun. It was like, how the fuck did you do this? It doesn't make any sense. But you ordered it's like, a lot of fucking sod. <laughs> Literally, that's what they did. Yeah. Like, try think outside the box. Be creative. Don't do the same things over and over again. It's like, if you're just going to print the placards get people together to paint a banner and then walk outside and do that and it's like
1: especially if everything you're doing is sad like especially if it's memorializing and vigils and stuff that is fucking super super sad
0: it feels like it feels you there is like there's no energy in it because no energy has been put into it to make it creative and fun and like something that you can be around those moments of fun and joy, and the little wins too, mm. like you know when you <laughs> drop off some cheese and uh, and flowers to the premier's house, and they're like BLM, BLM, like there's a bomb threat at the premier's house, and it was like we literally have all these photos of us with flowers and cheese at her house, it's like funny. It's like that's a little bit of a win because it's like they tried to make it look like this terrible thing and then there were all these photos that came out of like a bunch of people with some flowers and cheese at her house we're like, hey, we're just inviting you for a conversation. Like you can do cheeky, hilarious, funny things that feel like wins to everybody too. It's like, we got one up on power. Like it's just fun. It's funny. Mm. Um, Put some of that in it. But humor... Humor is so necessary. I mean, I feel like that's part of the reason why some of you listen to this podcast. Um, her right, uh, like humor is great. I it's so true. Oh my god, thank you for saying that. <laughs> <laughs> humor is great, and it it like it it is so like all of that stuff. Just make it fun. Yeah.
1: Right. Okay. So, how do we? How do we make sure that there's some place for activists to go who are student activists, and then they get into the real world, and then there's, like, unless they get a sweet activist job, there's not really anywhere to go. I mean, that's that's kind of a broader question about, about social movements, right? Because ideally, folks go from these positions and into social movement organizing, whether that's community-based, whether that's issues-based, whether that's in their own community, like, whatever. And um, and the left is very weak right now. Like, social movements are 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 weak to non-existent, and I often think about feminism. You know, if you didn't do a gender study degree, how the fuck do you learn about feminism in this country? Literally, you don't. Like, it's like from Instagram, right? And it's you know, there's a limit to that. And so, if you have uh, a group that's doing events, is doing educationals, that's like inviting people to to come to their stuff then you're able to say, well, I mean, now I'm a working stiff and I miss the activist days and, oh, they're having a, um, a, a feminist night talking about whatever the fuck. Like, maybe I'll go, right? It's it's not much more complicated than that, but then the question is, are we organizing these things and are we reaching out to people so that they know that it's happening? Um, the work, like, part of it sometimes means paying attention to issues and knowing what's, like, what's going to dra- drag people out to stuff. Um, the, the tramway thing that I mentioned, I mean, there was so little activism on the tramway for so long that when we launched this little group, uh, we, we we got 4,500 members of a Facebook page instantly. We sold out all of our placards instantly. Uh, it was amazing. It was like, but we knew that was going to happen because we knew people were, were excited for it. And we targeted where people would be located around an issue like transit. So we targeted... Um, you know, cyclist groups online. We talk to people doing urban planning activism or whatever. Um, So if you're an organizer, you need to be thinking for those spaces where, like, who's missing in this room and how do we make sure that they know that there's something that's happening? And it's always through networks. So making sure you have those networks that are either, you know, that are based in organizations or based in neighborhoods or whatever that you can activate to find people and say, like, oh, you know, you did anti-racism work as as a student at this college and we need people to do the work now and are you interested
0: yeah i think uh, the one other thing that i would say is that you're you're right that this is like a weird like it's it's a uniquely canadian like thing that um like one of the best things about the student movement is that it is a training ground for activists it's training ground for activists and it, it teaches you about it's a way that you can learn about so many different um movements And that doesn't exist in the same way in in other places and there are other training grounds in other places but in in Canada it's really like student organizing and it's not happening so much right now (laughs) in the way that it used to and that I mean that is a major comment that I have is that we have lost something really important I think that over the years, it became obvious to people who are good organizers and, and people who are in power that it was a threat, it's a huge threat, like to, to continually be training these people on these in these ways and skills and, 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 um, and political education and so on. And then, you know, liberal parties and conservative parties spent a lot of time and energy trying to crush that infrastructure that had been built to train people. And so I would say that it's important to try to build it up again. These things, again, also ebb and flow. It's really important to try to build it up again or to create another training ground that can lead to different off-ramps. But not having that training ground, like I can I can feel it. I know mm-hmm. that you can feel it. Like mm-hmm. we talk about it often. Mm-hmm. Like it's different. Um, it's, it was a very important space because it wasn't just for students. Like, there were so many people who would come through who weren't students and be a part of that training atmosphere as well. Um, and it, is, it was like, I, I remember the day that I realized that it was so unique was I was at some international student conference in South Africa, and people were like, oh, the Canadians, the Canadians, you guys have the best infrastructure and you train. And I was like, what? Like, this is something that people know about? It was like a thing that people knew about all over the world. And it, it's weird that it, it has gotten so crushed and it, it hasn't, like, it hasn't been, like, a real discussion, because it has had a marked effect on the politics of this country. Yeah. And, um, and, again, we either need to build something else, or we need to rebuild what has been lost. The last question. Good luck. <laughs> yeah, of course, of course. You can
1: come up here. Yeah.
3: Uh, um... First of all, thank you both so much for this evening, for your insights, and thanks to all of y'all here. Uh, It's been a really lovely evening. Um, I wanted to ask a question about what you had talked about sort of at the top, about power, um, especially in relation to social media. Um, I appreciated um, what you said about this sort of mirage of power that we might have on the left you know if we're posting a lot on social media um... and i wanted to ask you about this contrast i have in my mind to the power that the far right seems to have on social media it seems like when they post and you know we've been seeing a lot of really anti-semitic posts recently um, a lot of prejudice racist anti-immigration white replacement theory posts you know twitter 4chan anywhere really it seems like these are very actionable posts like they seem to be very galvanizing and they seem to inspire violence Um, and so i guess i just wanted to ask you about if you see that discrepancy too in power or if um and if 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 you do what um what motivates that discrepancy? Why does it seem like social media use on the left is inert, but social media uh, work on the far right seems to be powerful?
1: Yeah, it's a good question. Um, okay, so the first uh, way to answer that is Elon Musk's Twitter, you know, um, like, no, honestly, like I fuck like, the, the I don't know what news agency did this in the states, but they looked at like some high-profile right-wing and left-wing. I mean, left-wing like Democrat Republican f- accounts, and the number of uh, followers that fell in the Repo- in the Democrat accounts and then jacked up in the Republican accounts. There's some gaming going on in all of this. I mean, a lot of us have been just shedding followers. I've lost 5,000 in the last week and a half. Right? I don't know what's going on. Yeah, yeah. You probably should look at yours too, because I'm sure you've lost as, as well, Sandy. Um, so it's. Uh, and she, she's reaching for her phone. Um, so like, like, let's not pretend that this is a playing field that's even, right? And that they, they are in control of these platforms and we are not. And so even the best memes that we could... If we memed the fuck out of ourselves, we still would not be as powerful as some of the, the right-wing things. And I think that <laughs> for the right, the internet is not the location of power or the location of struggle their location of power and struggle is the corporate world, is government, is, is is outside of social media. The social media stuff is just to rile up other people to, to support that, but they don't spend all their time fucking with memes. I think we do, <laughs> right? And I think that that's uh, a symptom of the fact that we are more or less powerless. And, you know, I think of Like, there's been news in the last couple of uh, days that Shopify is, like, um, not removing libs of TikTok or libs of Twitter or whatever the fuck these accounts are, these far-right accounts. And there's suggestions that it's all going back to the guy who's the chief operating officer. And they're like, who is this guy? He's married to Candace Malcolm, who's a far-right personality in Canada. And it's like, that motherfucker was a far-right piece of shit when we were on campus. He was a student activist at York and um and it's because like they know that you get into these positions because they understand way better than we do how power works and so we look at the internet and we're like you know if if all things were equal, like the second that we were allowed to buy verified accounts, the the reason why the best bought verified accounts were all left wing, right? fucking with Eli Lilly and the cost of insulin is because I think if everything was equal, there would be left wing activism and fun and, and and all this stuff online uh, way more significant than the right because the right can't meme and they're not funny, right? But it's not actually about doing things well. It's about understanding where power is. And we are so obsessed with the internet as if it's a neutral space that we just have to, like, fight over. And it's like, no, it doesn't work like that. They, they are actually placing themselves in the positions of power, and we're not. And, we, and we're not for a whole bunch of reasons that we've basically talked about already.
0: And the other thing that – the reason why it's dangerous is because there's some place to go after you get galvanized online. For the right, there's a place that you can go to act, to make whatever your disgustingness is actionable. But if you're following, you know the left wing TikToks and the the left wing Instagrams and whatever, there's actually not a lot of places to go next. Like you start your own. To do next, yeah. You start you your start own your thing. You start. You get your own Canva. You start making really uh, pretty quotes in square boxes and you post them. Um, but. There's not a lot of places to to take that. Where do you take that? Where do you go with it? People on the right are are leaving the online space and going places with it and hurting people, or they're leaving the online space and they're literally controlling it so that um, the, you know you see more of the right wing stuff because you they want to make you click on stuff that is. Uh, acrimonious and mm-hmm. aggressive like that's that's how it works that's where the, the actual power is so we we can't get confused again with the this idea that the stuff that we're seeing online is power it's not it's not the pa- like the power exists outside of it it's a symptom is what you're seeing
1: thank you so much for sticking out you guys are amazing <laughs> it's like I think our longest live show ever. Oh,
0: yeah, amazing. I didn't like look at that. Yeah.
1: Thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, do whatever you can. Fight the power. Organize. Work together. Do good stuff. Make us proud. Make yourselves proud. And thank you so much. And then be safe with all this fucking snow. Yeah.